0: I feel like that beat sounds like a wrestler's intro. <laughs> I wanna be like, yeah! <laughs> My name is Josh, I'm one of the pastors here at Seacoast, uh, pastor professional wrestler, and I'm so glad. You're here to wrestle in God's, I'm just kidding. Um, Glad you're here this weekend. I wanna welcome you if you're joining us online or in a venue, offsite campus, wherever you may be. We are glad that you're here to worship with us this weekend. I wanna give a special shout out to our Conway campus. Many of you might have seen last week. I know it, a little love for Conway. You might have seen the update video last week. Pastor Jason went on a scouting trip just a couple days after Hurricane Florence to establish some church partners, figure out where and how we could best send resources and teams. And uh, over this past week, teams have started going. It's amazing what God has done there. And even for our, our campus staff there in Conway, Pastor Seth, the campus pastor, has been out of his house for 20 days now. Been separated from his, his family while they, he's there, working with the team, doing ministry there in Conway. He's had a family in the church that had access to their home that's let him stay with them. And I just wanna share with anybody, everybody, because I thought it was interesting that he's been sleeping in a princess bed. And so, I don't know <laughs> how that'll impact him in the future, but Just love seeing the church come together, right? And so, we shot an update video for you that I want you to see as we get started today so you can know how things are going. Hi, my name's Sam Lesky from Seacoast Church, and we are standing in Conway, South Carolina, which is experiencing flooding at historical levels. Our campus is not too far from where I'm standing and they've already geared up as a distribution center to help the city. And we'll be sending up a team to Conway to help in any way we can. The team leaves next Friday, October 5th, and will be there through October 7th. If you are interested in joining this relief team or one of the other teams heading up to New Bern in North Carolina, please visit seacoast.org relief. Please continue to pray for the Conway area and our campus staff. There have been a lot of people affected by the flooding. We're going to continue to send aid and teams until this project is completed. Thanks for making a difference. We're going to do whatever it takes. I love that attitude. We're going to do whatever it takes. And more than that, I love being a part of a church that really means it. It's been amazing to see over the last week the number of folks that have driven up on their own, that have checked out that website, seacoast.org Relief to sign up to be a part of a team going or sending resources. So I'd encourage you go to that website and check that out. Another way that you can get involved financially, we've tried to make that easy for you, is to text Relief20 with a space there in between them Relief20 to 320 320, and that would be to make a $20 gift. I did some calculations. If every uh, other, so half of the adults in attendance this weekend across all of our campuses were to give 20 bucks, we'd be able to make a gift of $120,000, and 100% of those funds are going to help families in need. I brought a couple pictures just to show you our Conway campus had been turned into a distribution center. Last Thursday, when they opened in one day, they served over 400 families. To give you an idea of just the need in Conway right now, I just heard a story yesterday of a woman that messaged us online saying that she had been evacuated from her home and had gotten temporary housing in an apartment, uh, but she didn't know the address. She just told our team uh, through the email the name of the apartment building, but said that she was out of diapers and baby food. And so our team went to that apartment complex and knocked door to door to try to find this woman that messaged us for help and they found her. They gave her diapers, baby food, isn't that amazing? And so she messaged us again last night just to say, I've been crying on and off throughout the night, I can't express to you how much it means to me as a mom who's out of diapers to have someone get through the water, make it to my apartment, and go door to door. So we are actively getting to be the hands and feet of Jesus, and man, it makes me proud to call uh, Seacoast home, so I'd encourage you, pray through how God might be inviting you to get involved, either going on a trip, giving financially, but let's continue to be the hands and feet of Jesus and uh, bring about some healing and restoring to uh, Conway. So let's take just a minute and pray for them and pray for our time together and uh, we'll get started. God, we thank you so much that you draw close to the brokenhearted, that you save those who are crushed in spirit, and we know that all too often in these times, God, that you use us, our willingness to go and serve and give to actively be your hands and feet. So I pray for Pastor Seth and the Conway team. I pray for every member of our church who's gone on a short-term trip or up for a day to serve or give, and we just pray that Scripture would hold true, that he who refreshes others will themselves be refreshed. God, I pray that you would energize and refresh them in ways that they couldn't on their own, supernaturally, that you would empower them and that those that might be close to their campus but far from God in Conway would experience your personal incredible love for them through a case of water or a box of diapers or groceries, whatever it may be, God, would you show up and do incredible things there. I pray for our time together today. God, may your word not return void. Would you accomplish something great in each of our lives? In Jesus' name, amen. Well hey, a little over five years ago, Katie and I moved in to a new house. We had uh, been living in a town home and we had five kids and our newborn had spent about the first year of his life sleeping in a pack and play in the downstairs bathroom. And so before he realized that he was sleeping in a bathroom, we figured it might be a good time to look for a little bit bigger house. you know. And so we started looking, but man, you know, home prices in Mount Pleasant are just kinda crazy, right? And so it was really hard for us to find something in our range that didn't have wheels on the bottom if you know what I'm saying. And so we were looking, looking, and finally one day I found this house. And it had been abandoned for a couple of years. It had been handed over to Charleston County for surveillance, had padlocks on the doors. In fact, the first time that we went to look at it, uh, the police rolled up and our realtor had to show her license to show like, oh, this is for real. He's thinking about buying this. Place. And so as we walked up on the porch, squatters had been living in the home. And so it, they had been kicked out. Charleston County was surveilling it. It was almost like they had let the kids have range of the house, almost as a blank canvas, to color or paint or use markers or crayons, however they saw fit. And so as we walked up on the back porch, the wood was rotten and it just kinda gave you the impression that the whole house was gonna be this way. And when we opened up the door, it kinda had that musty funk of a middle school boy, you know what I'm talking about, it just smacked you in the face, like, mm. <laughs> so from the time we walked in the house, Katie was like, mm, I don't, I don't think this is it. <laughs> <sighs> oh, you know. Our realtor was saying like, Josh, I don't, I think this one needs a lot of work, this, this one isn't it. But I started walking around the house and seeing like, you know what, if we move this wall, if we open up that door, if we turn around that closet, then all we would have to do is get a new roof and walls and windows and floor and HVAC. <laughs> but other than that, this house would be perfect, you know? All Katie could imagine was carrying our newborn baby into that house and all I could see was what it could be. We got in the car that day and Katie literally cried. She she started crying. I was like, "Babe, what is it?" She's like, "You have that look in your eyes." <laughs> I was like, "Ladies, I guess it was one of those like I want to move my family into a nasty house look. I don't know what that is, but I think it was one of those looks where she knew she was in trouble, that I was seeing this thing for what it was. I was crawling under the house, came out a hot mess up in the attic, the bones all looked good, so I'm like, babe, this could really be it, right? Well, what we experienced in the car that day was a vision gap. All she could see was what it was, and all I could see is what it could be, right? Well, in construction, the document that closes that vision gap is called blueprints. Blueprints take something that is very conceptual and make it very concrete. Within blueprints, it lays out exactly how big the foundation needs to be to support the, the structure, however big or tall it's gonna be. It shows you exactly where walls are gonna be and what they're gonna be made of. Uh, That then determines where plumbing and electrical goes within the walls. It lays out some degree of order within the uh, project. You can't put up the walls until you pour the foundation. You can't put on the roof until the walls are up. The blueprints have a way of helping ensure the project doesn't grow once you get started. You know, you're like, man, it'd be nice to add another story to this house, or add a little bump out room over here. It's like, no, oh, you can't do that. You might run out of money, it's not gonna support that. The, the blueprints have a way of keeping things in order and ensuring they look good when you finish. Have you ever looked at something and questioned, like, did they even have a plan when they built that thing? You ever seen any of those? I brought a couple pictures um, to help you with that. This is one that, uh, like, man, somebody spent a lot of time and millions of dollars to build an office park that resembles a toilet. You know? It's like, unless they're manufacturing toilets, I'm gonna say their business stinks, and somebody didn't love them enough to tell them. It's like, hey man, I'll drive downtown. Let's meet at your office today. Where's your office? It's like, oh, it's the one that looks like a toilet. Oh, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. That's awful, that's no good. Okay, clearly, all right, look at this one. It's like you you had one job. We told you we needed exit doors, but that also means we need a staircase, bro imagine telling the new guy like, yeah, just go out that door. <laughs> you know, see if you get my job, right? Check this one out. Now, excellence is a value in our company. I don't want some cheap Formica bathroom stall doors. Get something really nice, guys, you know? <laughs> Glass doors <laughs> over the bathroom stall, right? And keep people out, but everybody know what's going on inside, right? Blueprints are important. Well, for the last few weeks, we've been in a series called Wise Guy, where we've been doing a character study on a man named Solomon. The Bible tells us that there has never been, nor will there ever be, a man like him. He had a wise and discerning heart. Well, his father, David, had it in his heart to build a temple, a home, a place of worship for the Lord his God, but because David had been a warrior king and had blood on his hands, God told him, hey, I want to honor this desire of yours, but you can't be the guy to build a temple for me, but I will allow your son to do it. And so in the passage we're going to be looking at today, David is handing his son Solomon a set of blueprints. God had told David the exact dimensions of the temple, uh, how much timber would be used from which regions of the world, the precise weight in gold and silver. He had assembled the artisans and craftsmen, uh, all of which to do the work. And in this passage, David is handing him the the blueprints. But in the front few pages of this blueprint, David lays out the kind of man that Solomon's gonna need to be to ensure that he accomplishes the task that God has called him to. The passage is there on the top of your outline in 1 Chronicles 28. It says, and you, my son Solomon, Acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you, but if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house as the sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. Now, you may never build a house or a temple or even hold a set of blueprints for that matter, but God is building something through each of our lives. And the same principles that David gave to Solomon as to the kind of man that he was gonna need to be in order to accomplish the task that God had called him to apply equally to our lives as well, certain steps that we can take to ensure that we build something we're proud of, the first of which is there on your outline. First step I'll need to take is to make it personal, to make it personal. He starts in verse nine there on your outline saying, and you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father. And you, my son, acknowledge the God of your father. Can you imagine what it was, what it was like growing up in David's house? I mean Solomon would win the my dad is cooler than your dad contest every day of the week. David grew up, even, even as a young boy, right, the, primary story I think about is of Goliath. All of David's brothers are members of the army of God, and so they're off at battle against the Philistines. David's on a sandwich run to get there, and only to realize that they're all terrified by this giant named Goliath, that he's been taunting them, and David's just livid about it. He goes to King Saul, he's like, let me at him. You know, and at this point, he's just a little boy. Right And David tells King Saul, hey, the same God that delivered me from the mouth of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me against this Philistine. Let me at him. So Saul was like, eh, okay, you know, go for it. David runs out on the field, picks up a handful of smooth stones, says, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord, my God. He slings a stone, knocks him down, goes and gets Goliath's sword. He's like, Wah! Some like biblical combination of gladiator and braveheart. You know what I'm talking about? Just like, oh, even as a boy, can you imagine? His reputation just preceded him, right? To even once he was king, people would, would taunt Saul by saying, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. I just can't imagine what it was like as Solomon growing up in David's house, just knowing that's my stock, you know? That's where I came from, this manly, awesome, Man, well, what David was telling Solomon now was that, buddy, my stories can no longer be your stories. I see him pressing in to say, hey, I want you to remember those. I want them to encourage you, and I want them to build your faith. But more importantly, I want you to know how I did those things. See, even as a boy, David said, the same God who delivered me from the lion and the bear, he knew it wasn't his power. He knew it was God's. And he was saying, hey, if you're going to do the thing that God has called you to, directionally, this thing starts up with your relationship with him. You're not gonna be able to do this in your own strength. You've gotta cultivate a relationship in some private places if you're gonna be able to give yourself to the public places God has called you to. It's at that point I see David pulling out his journal. right and reading some to him of his pursuit and hunger for God. I see him reading what we know today as Psalm 63, while David is in the desert of Judah. He says, you God are my God, earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you, my whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest foods. With singing lips my mouth will praise you. On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you on and on and on. You just see this hunger for God in David. Him crying out to God that at that time nobody knew about but David and God. And here David is telling Solomon, buddy, if you're gonna do what God has called you to do, it's gotta start with being the man that God has called you to be. And you're only gonna step into that as you cultivate a hunger for him. You've gotta make it personal. Acknowledge the God of your father. Some translations actually say, intimately know the God of your ancestors. Intimately know. How many of you know there's a big difference between knowing someone and knowing about someone. When Katie and I were in college, first time I went to her apartment, she had a poster in her living room of Matthew McConaughey. And just as a timeout, uh, I don't even know where you get posters of famous people, like Spencer's is long closed, you can't go there, Walmart maybe, either way, once you're in college, ladies, you gotta put those fifth grade games aside, you know what I'm saying? This is wifey testing grounds. And in my home, if this thing goes where I hope it goes, we ain't gonna have no posters and no other dudes in our living room. If you want a poster of a hot guy, go get your camera and I'll help you out. (laughs) But I said, Matthew McConaughey, we gotta take that thing down, you know? It's like at the time he was on the set for how to lose a guy in 10 days. I was like, babe, I'm gonna tell you how to lose a guy in 10 days. You keep that thing up. (laughs) I'm gonna be moving on, right? (laughs) Well, all too often in church, that can be our posture with God. Man, I grew up coming to church every weekend. I could tell you so many of the stories, even that story of David and Goliath. Something about these epic stories of faith touch our hearts and they're inspiring. I can have passion even talking about them, but there were so many years of church attendance and learning and knowledge where I knew all about God, but I didn't know God. And that's what he's telling him here, Solomon it is important that you intimately know the God of your ancestors, that you acknowledge the God of your fathers. What would it look like for you today to make it personal? You know, for some of you, as you look back over your story, you can acknowledge the God of your ancestors. You might be the first man or woman, boy or girl, here to show up at a church and take a step towards God in the lineage of your family, right? You're rewriting your family's story to be a people of of faith in God. And for some of you today, maybe your first step is to make it personal, right? To say, if I'm honest about my walk with God, it feels or looks a lot more like religion and routine and requirements than it does a relationship. And maybe today, your first step is to say, God, I wanna have a relationship with you and acknowledge that I've I don't have it together, I'm not going to, and I never have, but only because of the price your son Jesus paid on the cross for my sins can I have a relationship with you. I wanna enter into that through faith today. All throughout scripture when people were confronted, with God's incredible love for them in Christ, the response was, what do we do? And the answer was to repent and be baptized, to turn from our sin and be identified with Christ through baptism, through his death and resurrection. A lot of our campuses had baptism last week, the Mount Pleasant campus is gonna be having it next week, but whatever the case, I promise, you let your pastor know that you've made that decision and you wanna be baptized, Bro, I'll invite you over to my house, we can do it in the bathtub, find a hot tub, a pool. Like there is no greater decision and we will do whatever it takes to make it happen because that's worth celebrating. Maybe for some of you today, making it personal. The Bible tells us that without faith it's impossible to please God. And maybe for some of you, making it personal. You know these stories of a miraculous God who does incredible things and for you to experience some of that personally is gonna look like you taking a step of faith. Maybe you've had it in you to start a business or to build a team, to get married, to start a family. There's just been these internal walls that you've had to push through. And today, you're gonna make it personal by taking a step of faith. Whatever the case, us building something great, us moving forward in wisdom is gonna require us making it personal. Number two there on your outline is I've got to be strong. I've got to be strong. Directionally, This thing starts with God, I've gotta make it personal, I've gotta get my relationship with Him right, but the second step is one inward. Before I put my hands to anything that people take note of or see, I've gotta do the hard work of cultivating some inner strength. He says there in verse nine, and serve Him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. If you seek Him, He will be found by you, but if you forsake Him, He will reject you forever. Isn't that encouraging? (laughs) (laughs) Not encouraging, how do we not do that, right? Two words I want you to underline there on your outline are serve and seek, serve and seek. He says, I want you to serve him with wholehearted devotion. That that language there literally means all of your insights. Serve him with your mind, your will, and your emotions, which means that you can't say, God, I wanna give you my heart, I wanna love you with all of my heart yet continue to give your hands to things that you know aren't pleasing to him. Can't say, God, I wanna give you all of my heart, yet continue to look at things that you know don't honor him. John 10, 10 says that he came that we might have life and have it more abundantly, that he wants to lead us in paths of righteousness, which means as we serve him wholeheartedly, he's gonna reveal to us things that we're doing, attitudes, behaviors, friendships, relationships that aren't life-giving to us. And he's gonna say, man, you need to put that aside. And we're not gonna get it right. You're gonna do things tomorrow that you said today you wouldn't do. This isn't a path of perfection, but it's a path of progress, which is why it's important that he says we worship him wholeheartedly with a willing mind. In love, as he reveals things to us because he has good in store for us, we have to be willing to lay down or set aside the things that are not life-giving to us worship Him wholeheartedly and with a willing mind, to serve Him with that posture and then to seek Him, that we would be willing to to go after Him. Our son Asher, a couple weeks ago, Katie had a, uh, a word. She had been spending time with God that day and felt like God gave her a word for Asher. So we were at dinner that night and she remembered. She was like, oh, Asher, God gave me a word for you today. She shared the passage and she started speaking over him. You're going to be uh, a boy that unifies a people. And she's she speaking over him, and he's got this like eight year old look of discernment, right? Furred brow, like kind of like nodding, like, come, come on. That's right. I'll just see, you know. I didn't know what he was thinking, but that's what I hoped he was thinking, right? So Katie finishes talking. He says, okay. Hey, will you ask him something for me? Ask him about braces. I want to know if I'm going <laughs> <gonna> to have braces. <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like the whole time, she's pumping this word and you're thinking, are oh, my teeth gonna be straight? <laughs> like, so, that, so I'm like, well, we got 10 years. It's gonna be a long 10 years. We are gonna keep putting it in there, right? Well, that night at bed, Katie was tucking him in and he said, mom, God doesn't speak to me. Asher made a decision to follow Christ and was baptized just a couple years ago. He could tell me the gospel. He knew the decision he was making and what he was doing. He reads his Bible and prays. But he told Katie, man, like I I just heard you say that God gave you a word, you shared it with me. Well, when I pray, God doesn't talk back. What's the deal with that? How many of you have been there? It's like, man, for the innocence of an eight-year-old to just be honest about that. Seldom are we ever really honest about that. But Katie was able to say, well, bud, listen, our our life is pretty loud, And, and to be honest, you're, you're pretty loud. And you know to really hear God's voice, you got to continue to seek him and get in a quiet place and pray and be still. She was able to coach him up in that. But what David was telling Solomon here is that if you're going to do the thing that God has called you to do, if you're going to be the man or woman that he's called you to be, you've got to cultivate an inner strength. You're going to have to be strong to serve him wholeheartedly with a willing mind. That you're going to have to seek him and how many of you know if you go to the gym one time, you can leave feeling like it just about killed you, right? You can nearly injure yourself, you sweat to death, you leave thinking like, gosh, I'm never doing that again, that was awful, right? It's not until you make it a habit of going to the gym that you start to feel better and burn fat and build muscle and over time, people are like, bro, what you been doing, man? You're looking, you're looking good. You're know? <laughs> like, yeah, I've been going to the gym, I've been doing some stuff that nobody else saw, that none of you were aware of, and you're starting to see the results. And that's what David is telling Solomon here. If you will cultivate the discipline of seeking him in the private places, in the moments where nobody else would see or know, you're gonna have the character needed to step in and do the things that I've called you to. So the first step is to make it personal. The second is to be strong. And the third there on the back of your outline is to do the work. Do the work. Some translations uh, literally say to, to take this seriously. David's charge to Solomon was to consider now. Take this seriously. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. There in verse 10, he says, consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house as the sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. Be strong and do the work. That language there for be strong literally means to be bound to. to signify signify adhesion, two things coming coming together, to be glued to, to be committed to. For Solomon, God's call for him was to build a temple, to build this home, this place of worship. How does it land on you to think that God has also called you to build some things? Right, that he knit you together in your mother's womb, that he numbered the hairs on your head and he prepared you to do some things for him, some good works. Ephesians 2.10 there on your outline says it this way. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. He's prepared good works in advance for you to do and much like David's charge to Solomon that he's gotta be strong, he's gotta be bound to, adhere to some of the things God's called him to. So much of our lives is about us becoming the men and women that God's called us to be, and us stepping into the opportunities that He created, that we would be bound to Him. Man, when we become the men and women He's called to be, when we step up to do the things He's called us to do, we actually advance the kingdom, right? We get to be a part of the very things that He created us to do. And for Solomon, I think both of these words were important. To be strong and to do the work. Why, for be strong, man, when you start walking a path of purpose, you're gonna face opposition, right? When you start becoming the man or woman, doing the things he's called you to, the enemy is gonna take note of that. If you're not doing anything, you're not gonna face any opposition, right? Because he's not worried about you. But you start walking a path of purpose and all of a sudden, you start being a source of opposition. I don't know if I've got what it takes. I'm not good at planning, I'm not good at communicating, I don't know what I'll do, I don't have the resources. You can be a source of opposition. It can come from outside of you, right? Discouragement and frustration, but David is telling Solomon, hey, if you're gonna do the thing he's called you to, you're gonna have to be strong. Then he tells him to do the work. Solomon had the position and the resources to sit on his throne and say, hey, call the contractors, call them in, you know, eating grapes, whatever. He's like, hey guys, We're gonna get this thing going. Dad gave me the plans. We got all the resources. Go at it. You know, I'll call you in next week and we'll see how this thing's going, right? But David told Solomon, hey, I want you to do the work. You can have a set of blueprints, but that's not gonna get the job done, right? When we moved in to our house, I had a a plan, right? And I told Katie, I was like, babe, I can get this thing done in 30 days, right? And 120 days later, we were finished, right? (laughs) Because I had to do some work, I didn't quite calculate how long it was gonna take, but God told uh, David to pass on to Solomon, hey, I want you to do the work. Get your hands dirty, right? And we don't know why. Maybe Solomon was a good manager. He was gonna make sure the temple got finished when it was supposed to be finished. Maybe he was an efficiencies ninja, right? He was gonna eliminate waste. This thing was gonna go smooth. Maybe he was a people person. And he was gonna walk the temple job site and he's gonna say, hey, you uh, welders, good job, Putting those gates together, man, that gold is blinging, baby. I'm so proud of you. You know, who knows why? Whatever the case, David told him, hey, I want you to be close to the project. God has called you to do it, He's bound you to it. Be strong and do the work. You know, for some of us, the work that God has called us to is going to be unique to each of us. Maybe God's called you to pour your life out into your kids, to build a family. Maybe God's called you to start a business, to serve a community, to build a team, to make a lot of money and use kingdom resources to advance his kingdom. And you're gonna honor him in the workplace. Maybe it's to write a book or to start a ministry. There's gonna be a lot of things that are unique to each of us individually, but there's some things that are gonna be the same for all of us. You know, God's dream in his heart is that his bride, the local church, would be the hope of the world so that for those in any of our communities that may be close to our campus but far from God, they could find life through the local church. In times of disaster, like in Conway and up the coast right now, that the men and women he's positioned to be his hands and feet could step up to serve and care for other people. His dream is found there in Ephesians 4, 12 and 13, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We accomplish that dream here at Seacoast by joining the dream team. And Maybe for some of you, whatever campus you might be at, you've been here for a while, you used to serve, and then you went on to lead a small group. Well, man, we're in a season now more than ever where we need everybody on deck, using their gifts to help advance his kingdom, to be a part of disaster relief, knocking on doors, delivering diapers and baby food, or serving in Kids Coast across all campuses. Man, we're working hard to ensure we provide a a powerful worship experience and a practical message, but people encounter the hands and feet of Jesus long before they ever make it into a venue. As we park cars and greet them and care for and pour into their kids to communicate, we see you, we mat, you matter to us. We wanna love and care for you. Maybe your next step today in doing the work is to fill out a Connect card and say, hey, I wanna get some more information on what it would look like for me to serve, to partner with the local church of fulfilling God's dream. You know, there's gonna come a point in all of our lives one day where we sit down with God and are, and are held accountable, where we look back for what we've built. And man, I don't want him to scroll through pictures and for me feel like this thing that I've built, I've worked so hard and I've poured myself into it only to realize that it resembles a toilet. You know what I'm saying? It's like, man, I wanna build something great for God. I wanna use every bit of the gifts he's given me. I wanna leverage every relationship and strength and passion, everything he's put inside of me to ensure that I build something that's pleasing to him. That I accomplish every bit of what he placed me here for. And the same call that David had for Solomon is the same one that he has for each of us today. That we've gotta make it personal. This thing's gonna start with our relationship with God. Where are you with that today? If I were to grab coffee with you and say, talk to me about your relationship, would it sound a lot more like a religion or a routine something you do out of obligation, some kind of annual review with the boss? Or would you tell me about God, the creator of the universe that calls you friend, right? He desires to have a relationship with you. Second, we've gotta be strong. We've gotta cultivate the inner strength to serve him wholeheartedly, not just with our hearts, but with our hands, with our feet, with our eyes, all of us to him, that we might seek him and pursue him. And lastly, that we would do the work that we would be a men and women of faith who step in boldly to do the things he's called us to, that the end of our days would come and we would look back with him, man, and celebrate what he's done in us and through us. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this passage, and I praise you for... uh, Just the intentionality on David's part, to acknowledge, yes, God, you have amazing things in store for all of us. And we believe that you wanna do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine through us. And God, even me, I'm so task-oriented. And it's so fun for me to jump in and start doing a job. And so I'm so thankful for David's charge that this thing starts with our relationship with you. God, stir our hearts today that we would be attentive to that relationship, our our next step inward of cultivating the character to sustain the very things that you've called us to. God, give us the courage to do the hard work of, of looking inward, to worshiping you wholeheartedly, to really be honest about not what do I aspire to do, but what am I actually doing? Am I worshiping you with all of me? Am I seeking you? not to feel guilty or condemned, but just to be honest and to make some course correction there, to do the work. God, will we be found a people that are busy at work upon your returning? Will we be your hands and feet? Will we represent your heart? Not only in times of natural disaster, but on any given Tuesday, on any given Sunday, God, will we represent you well? Pray that you'd be with us now as we respond in Jesus' name, amen.